Revelation 21 and Romans 7. Is anybody that uh, is going to use a pew Bible? Because I have the numbers of the pages if, uh, if anybody's using a pew Bible. Okay. Looks like nobody is. Well, good morning. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to attempt to get done at a reasonable time and still talk about several aspects of the body of Christ. First, I'm going to show that it's not as many teach the bride of Christ. I know you've heard that. We've all heard that. Then we'll look at what I believe is God's main reason for creating it. Next, I'll show you what it is, when it started, and how and when we became, we became members. And lastly, if we have time, we'll explore the future and where we fit in. If you try to stick with me for the first 15 minutes or so, I think it's going to get a little bit uh, more interesting later on. We're going to cover some groundwork first. Okay. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're going to spend the next hour or so attempting to get to know more about and to magnify your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at his heavenly kingdom, which is his body, much more. It will be about him who is the head of the body. Hopefully, when we walk out of here today, we'll have a greater appreciation of your unexplainable and divine love for us who have trusted in your Son. Father, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, first let's just get this one problem out of the way. Is the the body of Christ, also the bride of Christ. Revelations 21, look at the first verse. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as Catch the as, as a bride adorned for her husband. Many folks believe that that verse proves that the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem. Okay. However, that would be cons considered hearsay in a court of law because he says as. Okay. It would be inadmissible. That being said, drop down to verses 9 and 10. There you'll find admissible, and I believe incontestable evidence that it is that the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem, the holy city. It's what we call comparing scripture with scripture, comparing spiritual with spiritual. In verse 9, it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, and that the me is John, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. In verse 9, one of the seven angels told John that he would show him the actual bride. He didn't say as a bride here. 
in verse 10, did he show him the body of Christ? No. It says it showed, showed him that great city, the New Jerusalem. Well, so we're not the body. We're not the bride. Did he show him the nation Israel? Nope, didn't. Some people say they're the bride of Christ. How about, did you show them the Catholic Church? Nope. Susie says, nope. I mention that because that organization represents over a billion souls in the world. Pro that's about 15% of the population of the world, okay, is represented. They consider themselves not only to be the bride of Christ, but they consider themselves to be the body of Christ as well. Let me tell you, they're wrong on both counts. No, the angels showed John the great city, the, New Jer the holy Jerusalem. There's no room for doubt. The bride of Christ is that great city. Leave Revelation, get 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, if you've got a ribbon, if you have two ribbons, that'd be better. But if you have a, a ribbon, put it in 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to be there the whole, the whole message. We're going to be flipping back and forth to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you've already got Romans chapter 7, I believe, is what I said. Yeah. Okay. So as students of the Scriptures... What did we just do? We took a question that still is perplexing and confusing most of Christendom today, and this is 2,000 years later. And because we believe that we have God's Word in our hands in the form of a King James Bible in English, we compared those verses, like I said before. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look at verse 7. Very familiar. This is even familiar in the Catholic Church. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now that's where they stop, as a lot of you know, that's where they usually stop. And they tell you stuff like, well, we can't know till we're, we go to heaven. We can't know these uh, things of the Lord, these, uh, what's he call them here? The things that he has prepared for us who love him, okay? But they don't read verse 10 very often. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So that's telling us we can know the hidden wisdom of God. We can know the will of God. Look at verse 12. Now we have received, we being people who have trusted Christ, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
we're so blessed because we have access to the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding that God's made available for us. And so many folks don't. Uh, they don't realize that they have that access and they don't take advantage of it. Look at Romans 7.4. We're going to go back to the, to the bride of Christ. There are people, Rick calls them yabbits. The yabbit, people say, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? So, yeah, but <laughs> what about Romans 7, 4? Look at verse 4. In that verse, Paul says to the Roman saints, and by extension to us, that we are dead to the law by the body of Christ. Why? That we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Yeah, but that means that we're the bride of Christ, doesn't it? We're married. It says we're married to him. Well, that's the verse that a lot of people use to say we're the bride of Christ. So how do we answer? Actually, it's pretty simple. First, you tell him or her, what you know for sure. When I was in the Navy, I was a, an enlisted personnelman. I worked while the other guys were out fighting and flying around and everything. I worked in an office, an air-conditioned office, okay? But when I went in the office, Chief Bowen, first guy I talked to, he said, I've only got one rule in here, okay? If you don't know, you don't say, okay? And boy, that's a good rule. You know, we, the enlisted personnel depended on us, you know. So we, we had to tell them the truth or we had to say, I don't know, okay. I remember years ago talking to a friend of mine about welding, okay. And he used the term marrying. He married the steel together. And he said, when you marry the steel, if it's done right, the actual weld becomes stronger than the original material, OK? I thought of an analogy, OK? Bev and I have been married, as a lot of you know, 53 years. I said 73 last time. <laughs> Seems like 73. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, she, well, let me put this, well, let me say what I do, okay? Now, Juan is, is a good friend and neighbor. He knows what I do, okay? I blow leaves, okay? I feed the hummingbirds when Bev doesn't do it. I make messes, I putts around in the garage, and I work on the cars. I, you know, I don't work on them so much as I just maintain them. She does everything else, okay? So that relationship, that is married together very well, okay? And both of us are better for the union, okay? But remembering what my welder friend said, I went online to see if there were any other alternative uh, definitions for married, 
okay? I found them, okay? In Google's online dictionary, I found two definitions for Mary. Those of you who were here for uh, Brian's message this morning, <laughs> I think we can still trust this, but there's going to be a point in the future where the people aren't going to be able to trust anything that they read online. Uh, anyway, so in the, in the online dictionary, it said to join in marriage. That's the common definition uh, with husband and wife. The other was to cause to meet or fit together or to combine. Okay, well, there you go. So we can be combined with Christ without being his bride, for heaven's sakes, okay? Also went to Webster's Dictionary, 1828.com. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good site. It isn't, uh, it's better to let Scripture define itself, but it gives you a boost, you know, sometimes. Sometimes it leads you in the right direction to use the... The 1828. But anyway, it had the following definition. And, and of course, it had the normal definition. But listen to this one it had. In Scripture, to unite in covenant or in the closest connection. To unite in covenant. Turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3, if you would. And we'll just have a little pause here because I want you to get Hebrews chapter 10 also. Jeremiah 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. I'll kind of listen for the pages turning. I was saying to somebody this morning that uh, anybody that thinks it's a man's world, just look at my tie. If it were a man's world, I would not be wearing this tie. And this, and it's a little hot up here. This is, I wouldn't be wearing this either. Well, actually, I'm wearing this because Rick, Rick wants us to halfway dress up. <laughs> halfway, halfway. Okay. <laughs> anyway, did you notice that I, at the very first, I was going to sit in that chair. I told this to Milka and Brian. And I realized I don't have socks on. So I thought that would look pretty funny with a sport coat and, <laughs> and all of it. So anyway, Jeremiah 3, look at verse 14. The prophet says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. In other words, they aren't husband and wife but rather they're united in a covenant relationship. I thought that was a good example. So when people, uh, you know, yeah, but you, yeah, but what about 7-4, uh, Romans 7-4? Tell them like Chief Bowen used to say. Just tell them what you know, okay? And uh, if you know for sure something, let them, let them know. And if not, know where to look it up. That was the other part of what he, what he said. I want to explain why I'm going to go into a couple more details about the Catholic Church that might seem unkind on the surface. Please keep in mind that I'm attacking the doctrine. I'm not attacking the people in the pews. Uh, their doctrine attacked me for the first 18 years of my life. There are seven of us in mom and dad's family. There's, there are the total seven of us. 
it attacked us all for years. And most of us have, have by the grace of God, uh, escaped from that. Okay. Anyway, I've actually asked folks, even recently, if they knew where they were going to spend eternity. You've all done this, I'm sure. And once in a while, one will say, no, I'm a Catholic, I got, you know, or something like that. I got that covered, you know. I, I go to church. You know, there are, Hispanics are a big portion of our population. And uh, for them, a lot of times, especially if they're in Mexico or Guatemala or wherever, it's, it's more of a social thing than it is a, a deep belief. I believe that and from, the, from the folks I've talked uh, to about it. It's, it's more like you, if you're, you're, you're a Catholic, you know. Anyway, the Catholics do have uh, this, here, here's what it says in Article 9 of their Catechism. Okay, It says, Believers through the sacraments are united in a hidden and real way in Christ to his passion and glorification. This is especially true of baptism, which unites us to Christ's deaths and re, re, excuse me, res, resurrection, it's hard to say, and the Eucharist by which we're really sharing in the body of the Lord. Okay. The baptism they're talking about isn't the baptism that we talk about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which says, by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. This is a water and oil procedure. Normally it's done on fairly newborn babies, and, uh, but it, it's not exclusively. You can get baptized in the Catholic Church at any age. Uh, so keep that in mind. And the Eucharist, they believe, is not, not a memorial so much of what Christ did. It's more actually participating, eating the actual body and blood of Christ. They've got a $50 word called transubstantiation. I can't believe I said that right. I got two more times, or three times I got to say that. <laughs> so, anyway. In their catechism, it says it's a daily miracle. The reason they say daily is because you can go home or you can, you can go out to the restaurant and you can do all the rituals and you can't transubstantiate. You have to, it has to be done at a daily mass. It has to be done by a priest at a mass, okay? Can't do it in your, in your back room. Anyway, it's the daily miracle of the Holy Catholic Church whereby ordinary bread and wine become the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And it says during Holy Mass, like I said. Here it goes again. Transubstantiation means that the substance part of the bread and wine elements changes, but the accidental parts, like sight, taste, smell, touch, don't change, okay? So it still looks like, you know, What's that saying? If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it walks like a duck, it's a duck. Well, if it looks like it's wine and it <laughs> smells like it's wine, in the Catholic Church it's not wine. It's the actual blood of Christ. Okay, So just keep that in mind. 
Okay, do you have Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews 10. And start in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, there's your Catholic Mass, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, and of course that's the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth forth expecting till he made his enemies his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So once for all, like the song says, once for all. As dispensational Bible believers, we would never, ever consider making a daily offering for our sins. We should consider making a, a daily thank you for, for dying for our sins. Do you see how their ceremonies tend to diminish from the value of Christ's sacrificial death? seems to take the value out of his blood. We've, a lot of you have heard this, I don't know if this is an analogy or what, I have to look up analogy. But there's a song called All to Him I Owe. And the words are, All to Him I Owe, excuse me, it says, Jesus paid it all. That's the name, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I Owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. People that believe that they've got to work their way to heaven by doing all these different rituals and, and uh, things that, well, I'll tell you what, let's just go on a short rabbit trail. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Is that in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Excuse me. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Look at verse, uh, let's see. Well, I guess we'll have to start in 13. This is in time past. And you being dead in your sins and, un and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The Holy Eucharist, water baptism, and on confirmation, and on and on, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. There aren't any sacraments today. Sin has been paid for, for those of us who trust Jesus. Okay, that was just a little rabbit trail. The key is, we didn't do a thing. He did it all. Christ did it all. Okay, now, get 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. Like I say, if you have a ribbon, put it in there, because we're going to spend some time there. And Luke 23, 1 Corinthians 2 and Luke 23. 
So why did I spend so much time talking about the identity of the bride of Christ? Because a majority of Christians believe and teach that the church of today is the body of Christ. They fail to recognize that the body has nothing to do with God's earthly kingdom program. It has everything to do with his heavenly mystery program. But that was kept secret since the world began until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul approximately 2,000 years ago. We're going to read just two of the verses we read a little bit ago again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll, we'll read 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Okay, So what Paul's speaking here, what Jesus through what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul is saying here was a mystery. It was, look at, even the hidden wisdom, okay, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We're going to go over that over, over and over again today. Do you suppose Satan and his worldly ministers wanted to crucify the Lord? You bet they did. The chief priests and the rulers and the people, when you see the people, usually it's talking about the nation of Israel, hated him and would have done anything to destroy him. Luke 23, look at 13, verse 13. And Pilate when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. Pilate wanted to release, excuse me, release our Lord. But Satan and his earthly ministers insisted that he be crucified. Drop down to verse 21, 23, 21. But they, and there's the chief priests, the rulers, and the people again, they cried, crucify him, crucify him. They were abounding and consumed with hatred and indignation. They were bitter. They were hateful. They were enraged. They wanted blood. They wouldn't be satisfied with anything short of his death. Luke chapter 22, just flip back a chapter. The question is, along with his earthly ministry, did Satan want to crucify our Lord? That's the question. Luke 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him. There they go. They're plotting and planning, for they feared the people. They entered, then entered Satan into Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Here's Judas betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan enters into him. We're going to try to figure out why here in a minute. Being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains, how that he might betray him unto them. Do you see it? Satan himself was so desperate to crucify the Lord of glory 
and to defeat his archenemy at Calvary, that he wasn't convinced that Judas was going to get the job done. That's what I think. Remember Judas afterwards? He, he realized that he'd messed up. He probably had the thoughts beforehand. Satan probably discerned that. So Satan himself entered into the body of Judas to make sure that he didn't back down, that he didn't back out. I believe that's probably true. Now we're going to read 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 8 again. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, Satan and all the princes of this world knew about the mystery. Excuse me, didn't know about the mystery, but they know about it now. They do. It was ordained before the world was made, according to verse 7. That means that God had decreed or ordered it to happen before there was a world. But God was able to hide that secret for approximately 4,000 years until he revealed it to our Apostle Paul. You can see that happening in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, drop Luke 22, <laughs> and Ephesians 3 is another passage that we're going to be in for most of the rest of my message. Well, actually, for the rest of my message. We'll be back and forth in Ephesians, not, not necessarily chapter 3. Okay. I'm going to ask everyone here to consider that the next several passages that we read and look at will have hints and outright indications as to God's eternal purpose or his plan that he hid in his own mind from mankind and other created beings for approximately 4,000 years. I believe that this plan is also referred to as the manifold wisdom of God. If not, it's part of the manifold wisdom of God. It isn't a single thing, rather it's several things that in unison would cause Satan and his ministers to rue the day that they crucified the Lord of glory. I chose, I, I had trouble finding a word to describe how they would feel, Satan and his ministers. And I found that word rue. I've never used that before in my life that I know of. But the definition is to bitterly regret. That just seemed like it worked. Just picture the bitterness of Satan and his ministers as they suffer torment for eternity in the lake of fire. Can you imagine that? That's another thing every day we should do. We should thank God that we're not going to be with them. Can you imagine? Just I've done that. I bet you we've all done that at one time or another. Imagine hell and then imagine eternity. And Brian's message this morning, I don't remember your exact phrase, but he talked about what happens to folks after the rapture, okay? And it's a great message. Uh, did you call it the easy way? We have the easy way or something like that you said in your, in your, yeah. We have the easy way. We just trust Christ what he did on the cross. That made me, and that made me think of uh, 
everlasting gospel. You remember that? And let's go. This is not in my notes. Revelation. Uh, look at Revelation uh, 14, I believe it is. Yeah, 14 and, and uh, verse 6. It's not the everlasting gospel that I was going to talk about. It's, it's just a few verses later. But <clears throat> we've got the gospel, the grace of God. Brian very el elaborated it very well. It's how we are getting to heaven. The simplest way to explain it uh, is what Brian did. He explained that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, they answer, in verse 2, I believe it is, it says, the gospel by which you're saved, okay, it answered the question, how do I get saved today? And it's that you believe that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the easy way, okay? These folks going through the tribulation. Look at verse 9, chapter 14, verse 9. Like I say, this wasn't in my notes. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented, tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, as they have no rest nor night to worship the beast, excuse me, as they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That, that message just really hit it home to me of how, I hate to use the word lucky, but we are lucky, how lucky we are that we were born in the dispensation of the grace of God. I can't even imagine this. Uh, I, I can't even imagine it forever. And, it, and of course, it adds another ever, forever and ever. Okay. Thanks for that message today. It was Great, Brian. Where was I? I used to make, I, I asked Bev for a pen. So when I go on a rabbit trail, I make a mark. <laughs> and I didn't make a mark. Okay. Let's, uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. Ephesians 3 and verse 1. I'm going to try to get through uh, verse 16 here, but I, I want to, uh, I'm going to pause for a minute after verse 1. Paul writes, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So you have to ask yourself, for what cause? Okay. Well, Paul tells us what cause in chapter 2. So go to chapter, go back a page to, or two to chapter 2. And look at verse 2, and this will be the cause why Paul is writing what he's going to write in 
chapter 3 to us Gentiles. He says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, time past, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. That's, that's how Gentiles were back then. By the way, I, something that helped me so much in, in my Bible study, I was so confused uh, at the very first. Basically, the human beings on this planet fall in two categories. There's Jews, then there's everybody else. The Gentiles are the nations. They're everybody else. Now, one thing is that during this dispensation of the grace of God, God considers there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. He says that very clearly in, in the book of Romans. But actually the book, the chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, they kind of answer the question, what's going on? You know, they did for the little flock and they do for us. And what's going on? You know, we thought Israel was God's people. And now you say there's no difference between them and the, the Gentiles? But that, that kind of explains it. Anyway, at that time, this is uh, verse 12, uh, second, Ephesians 2, verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the good news. But now, did you notice our website is butnow.org? But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh, made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both, that's your Jews and Gentiles again, who has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition be between us. There's nothing between us during this dispensation. Like Brian said, there will be again. Okay. If, if you missed the rapture and you haven't been saved, Ignore everything that Paul said about this. Ignore it all. Because that's what's going to be preached in a lot of these churches, like the, the main one that I talked about. They're going to say, whoa, we had it wrong all those years. We had it wrong for 2,000 years. We should be following Paul now. Not, not then we shouldn't. Anyway. And he abolished even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's the same basic thing we read in Colossians chapter 2. Here we go. Here's where Paul tells us why this is happening. Here's the 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8 reason why God kept the secret for 4,000 years. Here's a preview at the manifold wisdom of God. It's for to make in himself of twain one new man. I totally believe, and I, I, I would take correction if someone corrects me, that the one new man is the body of Christ, so making peace, and that he might reconcile him both unto God in one body. There's my first proof that it is the body of Christ. How? By the cross, having slain the enmity therein. The one body is the 
I believe, the body of Christ. It's very important that you see that, and if you don't see it, it's very important that you study for yourself and find out if it's true. Okay, Revelation chapter 12. Stay in 1 Corinthians 2 and Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, wherever. I bounce around in there. And get, uh, just, just get there. I'll talk, we'll, we'll go to that in a little bit. So I, I went to that little rabbit trail to explain what cause it was that Paul was writing to the Gentiles. Now we're going to go back to Ephesians 3, and we're going to start at verse 1 and read without the distraction. So Paul says in verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, who gave it to him? Who gave it the dispensation to Paul? Christ did. You see that in Acts 26 on the road to Damascus when he started. We call it, it's not a Bible term, but we call it progressive revelation. Okay? He began to progressively reveal information to us. Okay? And in a little bit, you're going to see it wasn't just to us. Okay. As I wrote a form, few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It was a secret, it was a mystery, but now it's written for all mankind to see. Okay, Right now I'm just seeing mankind. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Remember, we had no hope. Gentiles had no hope. Now we have hope. We have the promise. And simply speaking, the tr promise is eternal life. Verse 8, unto me, Paul writes, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, still men, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, still men, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Why did all this happen? What's God's eternal purpose? What's he up to here? Verse 10, to the intent that now, starting then, unto the and still now, still right now, unto the principalities and powers, not on earth, in heavenly places, might be known by the church. Who's the church? The body of Christ is the church. We're the church. It's our job. In 2 Corinthians 5, I don't remember the verse numbers, shows that we're ministers of Christ, for Christ, and we're his ambassadors. Okay? I think 28 is ambassadors, I think. You can look that up. That's our job, not just to make all men see. Remember Paul has the, the one passage where angels are watching? Don't you? No, you're not. They're watching us. They didn't know the mystery. God hid it from them too, okay? 
Proverbs again, verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's Satan and his angels, that's the holy angels. And the seraphim, cherubim, all that at the, at the, uh, oh my gosh, I look at the clock. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, that shocks me. I, that's the first time I looked at the clock. Goes so darn fast. Okay. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. As usual, I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff here. Is that clock right? Holy moly. Gee. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to skip some of the stuff that I was expecting, a lot of the stuff I was expecting to do. I actually had 28-page typewritten word pages on the Word document for this, and I, I pared it down to what I thought was 12 pages, and uh, I thought I could get through that. I usually do get through 8 or 10. I did some yabba trails. <laughs> okay. What I think I'm going to do is to put everything I said into perspective and three pages I didn't say. <laughs> I'll now give you my, I have a two-minute outline, I timed it, of my current understanding about the manifold wisdom of God. Now, I say it's current because it changes, okay? Uh, when I first got saved and learned about rightly dividing the word of truth, it seemed like every conference I went to, they talked about Acts 17.11, which is they, the Bereans, were more noble than them in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. We hardly ever hear that anymore, but it's, it's just so accurate for us. That's what I ask you to do. I'm going to say some stuff, some you might not have ever heard before. I certainly never, the thoughts never entered my mind until I studied Remember, I had two months to study for this, <laughs> so I, I did overkill. And, uh, and uh, so I ask you to receive what I say, but search the scriptures to see if what I say is garbage or not. <laughs> okay. So here's my list of, actually there are 11 now, I added one to 11 critical events that display the manifold wisdom of God. One, in eternity past, God had a plan. Okay? That would be the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two, he created angels, cherubims, and other non-human creatures. Third, a third of the angels betrayed God. They followed Lucifer. God made hell for them. That's number four. But he didn't put them in hell yet. God created the heaven and the earth. God made man. The serpent deceived Eve. But Adam sinned. At that point, mankind lost their dominion over the earth and over all the creatures on the earth. Satan became the god of this world. If 
you're taking notes, that's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. About 4,000 years later, Satan is deceived, deceived by God's manifold wisdom into thinking he won the battle at the cross. He was so happy when they won the battle. But there was one of those, I don't watch sports, what do you call that, the camera, the replay, the replay camera, whatever. A year after Satan, a year after that, the Lord Jesus Christ began to progressively reveal all this information to our apostle. Number 10, Paul then begins to reveal it progressively in person or in the books of Romans through Philemon. Not only to, the, to mankind, but to all the other creatures also, or creation. 11, Satan reads Paul's books, and I'm sure that the most disturbing thing that he learned was, you guessed it, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom that God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is just, here's another word. I never used the word rue before. I never used this word before either that I remember. This is just a snippet of the manifold wisdom of God. There's plenty more wisdom where that came from. You can't do it in 55 minutes. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm just going <laughs> to, I really thought I'd get through this. I think I'm going to end, instead of reading a passage, that'll be our prayer to, to end. Lord, okay, yeah, that, this is, this is going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, but you don't have to read it, I'll just read it. Lord, we ask you that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, the whole body of Christ, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase, of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We thank you so much, Father, uh, for so many blessings that we have, which we don't deserve. And regarding the passages that we studied today, we thank you so much for including us. The body of Christ is an important part of your manifest wisdom and your eternal purpose, which you purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began, and we thank in his name. Amen.